This is a LibriVox recording. The Little Foresters, a story of field and woods by Clarence Hawkes. Chapter 8 Billy Wilson's Box Trap. One rainy day, while Billy Wilson was playing in the garret, where there were so many wonderful things and always something new, he found a queer box that he had never seen before. It had a sort of door or cover that lifted up by a string running to the back of the box, where a stick was stuck through a hole inside. For a while he amused himself by lifting the door and letting it down with a loud bang. Finally, he took the box downstairs to his grandfather to ask what it was, for grandfather knew everything and was always ready to answer questions. Billy had always claimed that a grandfather was the next best thing in the world to a Shetland pony. Grandpa, he cried, all excitement running into the old man's room with the strange house under his arm, I have just found the queerest kind of a house with a funny door that is not like a door at all. What do you think it is, Grandpa? Grandpa took his spectacles from his pocket and put them on, for his eyesight was poor and he could not tell a wheelbarrow from a wagon without his specs. Why, Willie, he said, you have found the old box trap. I have caught many a squirrel in it in my day. It is one that I made when I was a boy. Then he showed Willie how to pass the string over the end of the box and catch the small stick at the end of the string in a slit in the spindle. They then fastened a part of an ear of a corn to the spindle inside the little house, and the trap was baited and set. Now, Willie, said Grandpa, you take a stick and touch the corn and see what will happen. Willie did as he was told, and to his great astonishment the door of the box dropped suddenly and caught the stick. That afternoon, when it had stopped raining, Billy took the funny little house under his arm and started for the orchard where he had decided would be the best place to catch a squirrel. He found a smooth stone upon the top of the wall where the trap would rest firmly, and here he placed it with the door pointing towards the woods. He carefully baited it with an ear of corn, then sat at a distance to see what happened, for Billy expected that a squirrel would come along and be caught at once. He amused himself for a long time, munching apples and watching the trap, but as no squirrel appeared, he finally went home, where he found his particular friend, Frank Snow, waiting for him. Frank had come over to see the new swing that Billy's father had put up for him the day before in the big elm. It was the best swing in the neighbourhood, and the boys were all eager to try it. So Billy and Frank amused themselves for a long time with the swing, and when they were tired of swinging, they went to the barn where the mows were filled with new hay. What country boy does not like to play upon a new hay mow? The hay is so fragrant, the mows so soft and springy and it's such fun to jump from the big beams. Frank and Billy had such a fine play that afternoon that Billy forgot all about his box trap, nor did he remember it even in the evening. That night when Billy came to the supper table, to his great delight he found a crisp new mince pie looking smilingly up at him, and his mouth watered at the thought of its delicious contents of raisins, currants and preserves. Billy never knew where his first piece of pie went to. It disappeared so quickly, and he passed his plate for another. "'I'm afraid it will not be good for you,' said his mother. "'It is very rich and may give you bad dreams.' "'Oh, no, it won't, mother,' cried Billy. "'I know it won't. Will it, pa?' 
Billy knew that his father was more apt to indulge him than his mother, so he always appealed to him at such times. Billy held up his plate so beseechingly, and his father put in a plea for him, so that he got a second piece of mince pie. That night, when he lay in his little bed, watching the moon through the window, he thought of his box trap and wondered how he could have so long forgotten it. I hope I'll have a squirrel in the morning, he said to himself, and with these words he fell asleep. The next thing Billy remembered, he was walking in a beautiful wood. It was summertime, birds were singing, and everything was more beautiful than he had ever seen it before. He walked on for a long time through the shady avenues, admiring the flowers and listening to the bird songs. Presently he strolled under a great oak, where to his astonishment he found the cutest little house that he had ever seen in all his life. There were four or five windows and one door which was wide open. Billy went in and sat down in a little chair which fitted his size so well that he thought it must be made for him. Upon the floor there was a fine carpet, and at the further end of the house was a table with dishes on it, but they were covered over with a spread, so that Billy could not see what was there. He went and lifted up the spread and peeked under, and what he saw made him shout with delight, for the table was covered with goodies, pies, cakes and doughnuts, and in the middle of the table was a big basket of candy. Then Billy remembered that he was terribly hungry. Why, it seemed to him that he had never been so hungry before in all his life, so he sat down and began to eat. Pies and cake disappeared as though by magic, until there was nothing left but the basket of candy. Then Billy reached for that, but he no sooner touched the handle of the basket than there was a loud bang that made him jump up and look around. To his great astonishment, he found that the door by which he had entered had shut. This did not trouble him much, though, at first. When he wanted to go out, he would open it, for who ever heard of a door that would shut and not open? So he sat down again and began eating the candy, but it did not taste as good as he had expected. So he stopped and went to examine the door. He looked over from top to bottom, but could find no knob or latch. Then he pushed upon it, gently at first, and then with all his might, but it would not give an inch. It was very strange. Billy began to grow uneasy, and turned his attention to the windows. These, he found to his surprise, were covered with iron bars. It was queer he had not noticed it before, but he had been so greedy that he had seen little except the pies and cakes. Then he began to get uneasy, and walked up and down, trying first the door, and then a window, but both were quite tight. There was the basket of candy which he had hardly touched, but he had no appetite for it, or for anything else. He could not stay still. It was so lonesome and so quiet in the little house. Perhaps the door would open in a few minutes, and he would go home to his folks. At the thought of home and parents, Billy's lip quivered. He might never see them again. Perhaps it was a bear's house into which he had walked, and they would soon be home and eat him. At the thought of such possibilities, he began walking up and down very fast, striking and kicking at the door, and shouting for help. Papa, Papa, Mother, Mother, he cried, come and get me, I am caught in a terrible house and cannot get out. The more he cried and pounded, the more frightened he became. He shook the bars of the windows and bit them with his teeth, until at last he fell down, exhausted. 
Then he heard a noise like the sound of a great army marching. Tramp, 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 it went, and the ground shook with each step. Billy climbed up quickly to one of the windows and peeked out. But what he saw made him nearly lose his hold and fall to the floor. For coming through the windows was a giant as tall as the tallest tree, and every time he stepped, the ground trembled. Presently he began to sing, and the sound of his voice was like the heaviest thunder. I am the giant who lives in the woods, far up the mountainside. When the people hear me, they hasten away, and all in their houses hide. I live upon cattle, on cattle and corn. I eat up a heifer each day. When I am thirsty, I drink in the stream. I'll drink up the river some day. Here the song ceased, but Billy could hear the echoes of it rolling away over the hills like distant thunder. The tread of the giant was growing louder. Billy's hair stood up, and his teeth knocked together. He dared not peek out of the window, lest he should see the giant's terrible face and die of fright, so he crouched down in a corner and waited. Tramp, tramp, tramp came the great feet of the giant, right up to the little house, and then to his terror, Billy felt the house lifted up and set in the top of a tree. Then the door was raised a very little, and Billy could not help looking up. The giant's face was covered with whiskers, but Billy could see two eyes like great red lanterns and a double row of teeth that were so large they made cold shivers run down his back, and his breath nearly left him. He was so frightened. "'Ooh!' roared the giant. "'I've got you at last, you little rogue.' And ain't you cunning? I'll take you home, and the children shall have you to play with. You did not know what a box trap was, did you? You thought it was a little house. And the giant laughed until the woods rang. He then lifted the house upon his shoulders, and Billy felt himself borne swiftly away over the treetops to an unknown land. The giant took such long steps that it jounced the little house on his shoulder and Billy tumbled about in a most uncomfortable manner, but he did not mind this, for his mind was filled with awful forebodings as to what the giant would do with him when he reached home. He had read of giants who even ate boys, and he thought perhaps this might be one of the hungry kind. By and by he could hear water splashing every time the giant stepped, and he thought they must be crossing a river, which was the case. After they had crossed, the giant began climbing a very steep mountain, and here he occasionally stopped to rest. Once he stopped to get himself a cane, which he made from a small tree about a foot through and twenty feet long. This he dug into the ground to help himself along as he climbed the mountain. By and by, he stopped in front of a great hole or cave in the side of the mountain and thumped upon a tree trunk with his cane until the woods rang with the blows. Mehitable, he thundered in his terrible voice. I am here. Come out and see what I have caught in the box trap. Pretty soon a giantess, nearly as large as the giant, came out bringing the baby in her arms. The giant baby was crying, and the noise he made was as loud as the bellowing of a bull. It made Billy's ear ache to hear him, but the mother did not seem to mind it. Then the giant opened the door of the box trap, and the giantess peeped in. Her face did not scare Billy as the giant's did, for it was not all whiskers, but it was enough to terrify a small boy. "'Take him out, Thunderbolt,' said the giantess, "'and let me see him.' 
Then the giant reached in his great hand and took Billy out, nearly smothering him in doing so. Billy was awfully frightened to have the giant touch him, for his hand was so strong that he was afraid he would crush him before he thought, even if he did not mean to do him harm. My, ain't he pretty, said the giantess. See how he trembles? I guess he is scared to death, but won't he be a cute little thing for the baby to play with? You don't suppose that he would bite him, do you, Thunderbolt? He had better not, roared Thunderbolt, in the tones like the deepest thunder. If he does, I will drop him into the soup kettle some fine morning. Presently the baby reached out his hand, and the giantess gave him Billy to hold. The baby was as strong as an ordinary man, and he held Billy so tight that he nearly squeezed his breath out. He would have kicked the baby if he had dared. Then the little giant put Billy's head in his mouth and almost smothered him, but the giantess came to the rescue and put him back in the little house. Then the giant and his family all went into the cave and had dinner. When they had finished, they brought out some for Billy, a whole ham, half a bushel of potatoes, and a pie as big as a wash tub. Billy was so tired and scared that he was not hungry, but he did not dare to refuse to eat, so he tried two or three potatoes and a bit of the ham. The giant family watched while he was eating, and the baby kept reaching for him through the windows of the house. After the giant family had got tired of handling him, during which Billy thought that all of his bones would be broken, they left him in the box trap and went in for a nap. Soon he heard them all snoring, making a noise like the howling of the wind. Although he was very tired, Billy could not sleep. What would become of him in this awful land? He could not get out of the box trap, and even if he did, he could never find his way back home, or get across the deep river the giant had waded. If he ran away, they would pursue him and bring him back. Then he would be put in the soup kettle, or worse, they might eat him alive. His hair stood up with fright as he recalled these words in Jack the Giant Killer. Bee, fi, fo, fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make me bread. These giants must eat boys as well as those in the days of Jack, and that would probably be his end. Then he thought of his folks, but could get little comfort. They never could find him in this horrible country and even if they did, his father could do nothing with the giant who would eat them all. Billy crawled away into one corner of the little house and began to cry softly. He did not dare to cry aloud, for he was afraid of waking the giant family. But the baby heard him and came creeping out to see what the noise was. Billy at once stopped crying when he saw him looking at him, and sat up straight. Then the baby began to talk to him, but he could not understand. When the giant baby had looked at Billy for a while, he began tumbling the little house about to amuse himself. Over and over it went, and Billy rolled about inside, bumping his head in a most unpleasant manner. Further and further along the mountainside, the baby rolled the little house, and Billy saw to his horror that they were nearing a precipice, the bottom of which he could hardly see. He screamed for help, but his voice sounded like a mere squeak after that of the giants who were now sleeping and did not hear him. Nearer and nearer to the precipice came the little house until it was on the brink. Billy shut his eyes and stopped screaming. 
Then the baby gave it a push, and Billy felt himself falling. Down, down he went. At last he struck with a terrific bang that brought his teeth together with a snap. Then he sat up and rubbed his eyes, and to his great astonishment found himself sitting on the floor beside his own bed, with the moonlight streaming in at the window, just as when he fell asleep. He rubbed his eyes again and pinched himself to make sure that he was not still asleep, but it hurt, so he knew he was awake. Then he got up and wiped the sweat from his forehead and peeked out of the window. There in the yard was the great elm and the new swing that his father had made for him the day before. There was no dream about that. He was safe at home in his own room, and it was still night. The box trap and the giants had all been but a bad dream, and with a sigh of relief he got back into bed, where he slept soundly until morning. When he did awake it was broad daylight. The morning sun was streaming in at the bedroom window, and the robin and oriole were singing as though their throats would split. Billy dressed hurriedly and went down to breakfast. At the table he was so quiet and thoughtful his mother thought he must be sick, but on seeing his rosy cheeks she concluded he was quite well. As soon as breakfast was over, Billy put on his cap and telling his mother he was going to the orchard was off running as fast as his legs could carry him. While Billy is on his way to the orchard, let us return to his box trap and see what has been happening there. Early in the afternoon of the previous day, Frisk the grey squirrel who lived in the sugar orchard near the apple orchard said, Goodbye, to Frolic and his baby squirrels, and started for the orchard in search of sweet apples for his family. Frolic left the babies just long enough to go with him to the edge of the maple grove. Now take good care of yourself, she said, as he dashed away towards the wall where Billy's box trap was set. Frisk chatted back gaily to his mate as he jumped from stone to stone and finally disappeared in the distance and Frolic went back to the baby squirrels in the tree. Frisk was running so rapidly along the wall that he did not notice the little house until he was almost upon it. Then he stopped suddenly, almost in front of the door. What a cute little house it was, just large enough for a squirrel, and there was a fine ear of corn inside. It was very strange, he thought, as he cocked his head upon one side and peeked into the door, that anyone should have left their house in this way on the wall, and also that they left the ear of corn inside. Frisk had heard of traps, but as he was a young squirrel had never seen one. He did not think this could be a trap, it was more like a squirrel house. Perhaps it was one that some good person had built especially for his family. He stepped one paw into the house and then stopped, but the ear of corn was so tempting that he could not resist the temptation to go in. They had not had any corn since the winter supply gave out two months ago. How good it would taste, but he would not eat it himself. He would carry it home to his frolic. So he took hold of the ear and pulled gently, but it seemed to be fastened, and he pulled harder. Then the door of the little house came down with a bang, and Frisk knew that it was a trap, and he was caught. He would never see Frolic or the baby squirrels again. We have seen how Billy felt when he thought he was caught in a box trap, and squirrels feel much as folks do in like places, so we will not dwell upon the terrors of the poor grey squirrel that night in the box trap, but will pass on to the morning when Billy went out to the orchard to see his box trap.
As he neared the old apple tree, his heart beat fast with excitement, but when he saw that the trap had been sprung, his face fell. He had hoped there would be nothing in the trap, for he intended to carry it home and put it away in the garret. Billy tiptoed up to the trap and peeked in, and there in one corner, trembling with fear and with eyes big with fright, he beheld a beautiful grey squirrel. The inside of the trap was strewn with bits of wood that the squirrel had gnawed from its side in his efforts to escape, and his jaws were bloody from gnawing. Ain't he a beauty, thought Billy. How I would like to keep in a cage and have him to look at. Then he thought of his own experience the night before and wavered, but it was only for a moment his better self conquered. Then with a quick motion, as though he dared not to trust himself to consider, he lifted the door of the trap. With a grateful chatter and a patter of small feet upon the wall, Frisk was gone to the maple grove, and he did not waste many moments in getting home to frolic and his baby squirrels. Billy shouldered the box trap and trotted home with it, feeling very happy and glad that he had let the squirrel go. Ho, ho, said Grandpa, when he saw Billy coming. So you were tired of trapping, are you? No, said Billy. I caught a grey squirrel, but I thought it was too bad to keep him in a cage when he wanted to be free, so I let him go. Well, I guess that is the best way, said Grandpa, trying hard not to laugh at the boy's sober, disappointed face. You put up the trap and come into the woodshed, and I will make you a new kite. And Grandpa made the tallest kite that Billy had ever seen. End of chapter 8